Hey there, it's Mike Tramp, and you're listening to White Line Fever, where rock and roll is still alive like it always has been, and it always will be. Very, very special guest is Dave Ellison from Megadeth. How are you, Dave? Great, Steve. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Thanks for uh, joining us. Um, now, the, the issue at hand is a, a spoken word tour. And I just wondered, like, do you come up with the idea of a spoken word tour? Or does a promoter give you a ring? Because it's it's not an obvious choice. It's not an obvious thing to do, is it? I mean, what, what what's the story? No, a good question, actually. Um, you know, it's funny. Last year when Megadeth was scheduled to be on Soundwave, which uh, didn't happen, literally that exact same, like, weekend that that all was going down, uh, a friend of mine who's a manager in Los Angeles called me and said, hey, just got a call about, you know, you going down and doing a spoken word tour in uh, in Australia, you know? And I said, I said, uh, yeah, I said, that would be great. Um you know, obviously, um, anytime I can get to Australia is good by me. I thought I was going next week, but I guess I'm not, you know? So, uh, it's funny that, you know, it took like a year, you know, to kind of, um, they were ready to do it. I just needed to find a hole in my schedule, quite honestly, to do it. And, um, and, uh, so it's really, you know, it, I thought it was a great idea at first. I thought spoken word, what the hell am I going to talk about? You know, but, uh, um, the truth of it is, is, is with the book, My Life with Death, you know, that really lays out the basis of not only my own life, but of obviously Megadeth, um, you know, story of a musician and just kind of the whole thing, you know, so that's, that's certainly the basis of it. But, you know, when you're putting a book together, you realize you have, you know, you, you form a narrative and you, you know, the story starts to kind of flush itself out and you realize, okay, in this book, I need to go in this direction. Well, with spoken word, you know, I can take it in an entirely different direction if I want. And we're also going to have a Q&A portion of it, so it can go in any direction. Um, and so to me, what's most important is that this be an interactive, cool time with me and the fans and something that, you know, that you wouldn't get if you went to Soundwave or to a big arena show or something like that. This is something on a much smaller, cooler level, you know, cool level that, that you can, uh, you know, we can have – you know, some, you know, kind of like touch each other kind of moment, you know? Yeah, yeah. Now, the Soundwave uh, appearance was called off, as we know, because of a feud or a tiff between uh, Dave Mustaine and AJ Matter, the promoter. It was about the bill of a sideshow, if I remember it correctly. Is that feud still going, or is it, uh, has it been, have the differences been settled? No, that that's long been over. And, and, and you know, and, you know it's, it's one of these things where... Um, you know, we, 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 we've been through a couple of internal changes, you know, management and some things like that. Um, and that quite honestly, that was all happening right as all that was going on. So that was really, I think, you know, a bigger part of what that was about. And it's, uh, you know, um, Dave is very hands-on. He's very passionate about every decision that gets made in Megadeth and, um, you know, and, and I, I like to think that moving forward, you know, that won't be an issue anymore. You know what I mean? That, mm-hmm. that, that we're, we, those changes have been made internally from our side, which will hopefully be smooth sailing now. And, 
you know, can't wait for Megadeth to get back down to Australia. And can't wait for, you know, you know, who knows, maybe even on Soundwave again. So um, I, th- I think I think we've turned uh, turned a good corner and everything's good now. Now I have to ask you this because it's newsworthy. The, the the new lineup of Megadeth at the moment it's all rumors. Any anything you can confirm? No, nothing I can confirm. <laughs> um, it's just it's not quite there yet. It's not something I'm at liberty to talk about because uh, we're just turning some corners into the studio um, rehearsals, continuing the, the final stages of the pre-production before we get started, you know, writing. So uh, you will know as soon as I know, if not a day ahead, because you're in Australia and I'm in America. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you what the weather's going to be like tomorrow. It's very nice. Um, okay, I did say that we were going Excellent. to. I did say we were going to play some music. Um, anything from uh, your entire career. I mean, anything at all, as long as I can find it. Sure. Um, what, well, what, let's, what, let's, what, let's let's start let's start out with "Wake Up Dead." We'll kick it off with that. It's a good opening track.
everybody. This is David Austin from Megadeth. We're hanging here on White Line Peaks. Okay, welcome back uh, to the program. Before I introduce our guest, just a bit of uh, housekeeping. Um, we're on uh, uh, Twitter, WLF Podcast, and we're also, uh, you can find us on the internet, whitelinefever.ning.com. And our guest, I always say our guest is special, but um, it's not just welcome to the program, but it's welcome to Rugby League, uh, to David Collier, the new and the first ever CEO of the RLIF. Uh, welcome, David. Hi, Steve. No, th- thanks, for, thanks for joining us. Um, I'd imagine what you're in your first two weeks in the job, so I imagine things are quite busy. Yeah, we officially start this week, uh, but certainly already been around meeting a lot of people in rugby league and uh, just planning to come down to see the Anzac Games uh, at the end of the month. We've got a board meeting as well in Australia and Brisbane uh, towards the start of May. So a lot of work to do before then. There are lots of um, things you couldn't <laughs> tell us at the press conference, maybe are a bit, a bit clearer now, which is... Your headquarters are going to be in London. Can you tell us where in London? Can you tell us how big your staff is going to be? Sure. I mean, the, the staffing uh, will depend on the strategic plan, and that is being completed. It's something we'll be discussing at the board meeting in early May. Um, the headquarters in London, we already have a European Federation based in London who have facilities, and initially we'll be based with the European Federation there, and they'll be working from there um, as, as the organisation grows, Steve. Yeah. I was really interested in your uh, press conference at the end uh, when they asked you about um, international eligibility and, and you said that you had quite a lot of experience in that area. Um, you'd be aware, or maybe, I think it's probably the same in most sports, it's a, it's a, it's a topic that fans love to argue over. Um, is that because you have experience in that area, is that one of the first areas you, you, you're going to address? I wouldn't say it's necessarily one of the first. I think I think the top priority is the calendar of events. But certainly in any international governing body, eligibility is one of the areas that you look at. And as I said in the press conference, it's quite a complex area these days as more and more people are transient, more and more people have mixed nationality parentage. Um, but clearly there's also a slight difference between international eligibility and eligibility to play in domestic competitions. So those are the two things we'll be looking at. Yeah, and um, what do you, can you give us your initial impressions of the regulations as they are in, in rugby league? Well, I've not looked at them yet in detail, Steve, and it's something I've said to the board that uh, my experience of international regulations is that it needs to be reviewed quite regularly. And by quite regularly, I would think about every four years, normally after a World Cup, uh, because regulations do change, and regulations in different sports change quite quite dramatically. For instance, the International Olympic Committee regulations are much less stringent than most national sports, national governing bodies. And I think that's also true for rugby league as well. Can you tell us, uh, David, when you first became aware of the sport of rugby league? Do you remember the first time you even knew it existed? Sure. 1970s, obviously. (laughs) uh, We had had a lot of uh, coverage in the UK. um, And, you know, certainly the days of... Alex Murphy, uh, Roger Millwood, uh, sort of both the St. Helen sides at that time, the Hull sides at that time. Um, so, you know, first grew up with it at that, as long ago as that. And when did uh, Nigel, or I suppose it was Nigel, when did this um, position first enter, come onto your radar? Um, certainly a, a few weeks ago. And um, I did know Nigel because in the UK we have something called the Five Sports which is cricket, rugby union, rugby league, lawn tennis and association football. 
the chief executives of whom all met up fairly regularly, uh, met with our ministers. So obviously we'd worked together a little bit there. Um, also, I'd attended the uh, League World Cup in the UK and the, the semi-final between England and New Zealand, which you know, clearly was one of the greatest rugby league games I've seen. Um, and really was mouth-watering for the 2017 World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. So note, note that, but really the whole recruitment was actually handled through an independent group of headhunters. And uh, it was they who, um, who I spoke to uh, a few weeks ago now. What, what do you see as you, and I'll, we'll let you go and we'll continue with the print part of this interview shortly, but what do you see as your biggest challenge in this position? I, th- I think the biggest challenge is to get the calendar of, get, uh, of events sorted for the next either eight or 12-year period. Uh, it's so critical to the sport. There's been a lot of talk about it. Uh, there's a lot of talk about which domestic club events, like the World Club Challenge, how does that fit with uh, the NRL, how does that fit with Super League, how does that fit with international events, should we have more than just the World Cup as an international event, um, and all of that needs actually putting together into one cohesive calendar of events, and you know, the thing that I've learned as well from other sports is that one of the critical areas that is to allow players rest periods during, during that calendar so that you know, they're fresh and are performing at the highest level throughout, throughout the year. Right, OK. Well, if you'll just bear with us for 30 seconds, I have to just go, go for a bit more housekeeping for the um, audio part of this interview. Uh, we're on Stitcher. We're on the brand-new RL Internet Radio. Um, if you go to whitelinefever.ning.com, you can uh, hit the Donate button and everything helps. Also, if you want to shop on Amazon, you hit the button there. Quickly, some donors. Uh, Tim Hishon, Sean Taggart, uh, Hudson Burns, Andy O'Brien, Leonard Andrew, Gavin Rennick, and, and I've mentioned... Anthony Burns, I don't know if they're related. Anyway, um, thanks, uh, thanks for joining us, David. We're going to continue this interview, and here's, uh, here's some music.
Hello everybody, this is Ron Bumblefoot Thaw. You might know me from Guns N' Roses or not. And you're listening <laughs> You're listening to White Line Fever. Uh, welcome back to White Line Fever. It's episode 73, and our next guest is Joey Vera from Armored Saint Fates Warning, but most importantly, for the purposes of this conversation from Motor Sister. How are you, Joey? <laughs> I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? Yeah, that's a bit of a mouthful of that. I imagine the worst thing about doing interviews to promote... Uh, I'm not too bad. Um, the worst thing about doing interviews to promote a new project is uh, that you have to go through the story again. So if you like, I'll kind of, for the purpose, for the sake of the listeners, I'll save you the time uh, about Motor Sister. It was, it was formed at Scott Ian's... Correct me if I, if I make any mistakes. It was formed at Scott Ian's 50th. Um, they are... You, you do so, doing songs from Mother Superior... And at first, there was no thought of making a record, but now you have. You've got a record out uh, called called Ride. Is all that correct? Yes, that's that's correct. <laughs> so, um, what's it? Um, uh, it must be a great feeling to be resurrecting these songs, I suppose, and, and taking them to a new audience. Yeah, you know, um, you know, it's funny. Like this is, you know, the, the, we did that night at the party was really like we were basically. Like we were basically a cover band, and we were covering all these all these great songs from this band, Mother Superior, which maybe a lot of people have never heard of before. But we were all fans of, and still are. Um, and so for us, it was a lot of fun. It was like just playing a bunch of these great tunes within Mother Superior, and it was just a blast to just kind of get together and and play a bunch of songs that we all listen to on record and and that's really it was i mean that's that's all it was and the fact that turned into something else is completely beyond anything that we even thought of to be honest with you yeah what's i mean i i had a look um for mother superior in my sort of itunes and i had one song the a-hole song which always comes on first because it starts with it, it, you know it starts with a so but um, um <laughs> what what do you like? What what do the guys? What do you and the guys and girls like so much about Mother Superior? Well, I just think that it appeals to us because they they have a strong kind of influence and hold on music that uh, we all grew up on, which is the music from the '70s. And we grew up with all of us are kids of the '70s. All of us in the band and Jim as well. We grew up listening to all that stuff, all the 70s. I mean, anything from 69 to 78, you know what I mean? And that was like the golden era for, for us of hard rock music, rock music, um, even funk and soul. I mean, it's just such a great golden era, that, that period of time. And um, Mother Superior has been one of the few bands playing that kind of music or, or music that's kind of influenced from there um, that that's around. So they just kind of appealed to us in that sense. We also, most Superior also has this a little bit of a, um, it's, it's a funny band because they, they could do stuff that's very, what you might call classic rockish kind of type of stuff. But then also they have songs that have a little bit of a punk rock edge to it. Yeah, and then yeah. there were some songs that have a little funky, it's a kind of funky R&B thing going on. So they kind of straddled the line of uh, 
you know, a lot of different musical styles and um, they did it really well. So that's just, that's just in particular. And they had this great energy when they were performing live. They're, they're a trio and um, they play in LA. We, We would all go see them and it was, they're just a great live band as well. So, I mean, it just really appealed to us on a lot of different levels. Yeah, and great songwriting. Sorry, mate. I was just gonna say, Jim must be like must feel like all his Christmases come at once. That you know, an illustrious group of musicians have chosen to sort of resurrect the songs and and, and put them out there again. I mean, it doesn't happen to a lot of bands that have been broken up for a number of years, does it? It's a pretty remarkable uh, uh, thing for him. Yeah, yeah, it is. And he's you know, I've heard him speak in interviews that he's you know very grateful and um, honored to be playing with us you, even though we're the ones that are honored to be playing with him <laughs> but he's uh you know he's expressed that he's super grateful and honored and stoked that like you know that i mean the the, the it's been it's just sort of been snowballing you know it started out as he was honored like oh you want to play my songs at a party, you're cool. And then next thing, oh, now we're gonna record my songs. Oh, <laughs> now we're now we're playing live shows. Oh, now we're doing press. Oh my God, now we're doing the video. And holy, you know, it's like he's he's like beside himself, you know, because now, you know, and this is part of this is part of our intention in the first place was to celebrate the music of this band, Mother Superior, and. You know, we always said to each other, I wish more people knew about this band because people don't know what they're missing. And so now that's what's happening is that more people are becoming aware and Jim is getting letters and emails and, you know, inquiries from all over the world of people that have never heard of Mother Superior before. So he's, he's very, uh, he's very um, gracious for that. I've got a couple of follow-up questions to that, but I did warn you that um, I'd ask you to uh, play play a song. Uh, have you have you thought about yeah. what you'd like the first one to be? Yeah, sure. Let's play um, "Ride Motor Sister Ride."
Okay, welcome back to the program. We've been around long enough now that we actually have repeat guests. And uh, we've got Tommy Boyce here from the Casanovas. He's actually been on before. Uh, how are you, Tommy? Good, mate. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Now, it's a big week for you, isn't it? You've got, uh, got a new record coming out. Indeed, we have. Yeah, so Friday we're going to um, put it out and launch it and play a gig at the same time. I'd, l- I'd love to be uh, down there for that. It's called Terra Casanova. How long have you been working on it? Uh, we... We, like, went into the studio and recorded it about nearly a year and a half ago. And um, prior to that, we'd been in pre-production for probably, like, a year or something. It's just, like, kind of really takes a lot of time because everyone works and stuff and, you know, it's nothing's kind of, like, the first priority anymore these days. So, you know, it takes some time. It's been... Now is it is it really been like nine years since the last record? Is that is that right? Yep. That is, yeah, nine years. Yeah. Right. I did read one story, news story online saying that part of it, you know, like a lot of it was like you said, uh, people have jobs and they've got other priorities. But uh, there, there, were, there were some other things, there were some legal things, other dramas that have held you up. Yeah. Is that is that true? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. So like we had a problem with our ex manager and just about money and so we had to go to court and stuff and it was a real drag so that definitely took the wind out of our sails and you know took a bit of motivation away from the band you did put out a single in the intervening period that might have dealt with that is it really i dealt with it at an emotional level yeah <laughs> for sure yeah so uh, i think we already had that on the on the show um at the time so um, is it resolved is everything cool now oh yeah look i mean something I don't even think about anymore like really unless it gets brought up so yeah it's it's all fine I mean I wasn't really that happy with the outcome but it's so long ago now it doesn't matter you know yeah yeah okay and um tell so, tell so if you could uh other everyone else once you put it out everyone else will be giving their opinion on um the direction and influences and uh and what you're trying to achieve so I might as well let you offer an opinion first <laughs> what on the on the, the new oh, record Terra oh, Casanova oh, yeah yeah um well, we, you know we've definitely um evolved um and it's it's not like we're going to be doing anything like vastly different but i reckon it's vastly oh, i reckon it's improved you know and, and i think the mature, songwriting's matured and um i just there's some influences that are probably more pluralistic so there's kind of more going on um you know influence wise and um I don't know, I think also just a stronger kind of melodic melodic sense to the record. So yeah. 
Yeah, and lyrically as well. So, you know, I just sort of think it's a case of the band kind of getting better as it gets older rather than sort of fizzling out, if you know what I mean. Yeah. The first the first record was more kind of riffy, wasn't it? The second record had a bit more sort of cheap trick, you know, sort of, uh, yeah. uh, you know, a power, I won't use the word power pop, uh, but sort of ha- pop hard rock influence. Yeah, yeah. Trying to be a bit more playful but on the second record, you know? Probably a bit more of that on this record as well. Yeah. And when, yeah, Tommy, are there things that you hear now that influence you, or are you done with influences? Do you, you always go back into your old record collection when you when you when you're writing, or, or do you? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Whether mo- I find modern, you know, to be honest, in terms of the Casanovas, like I find new discoveries of old material to be my greatest source of inspiration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I like I'm constantly, you know finding new records that like oh what i mean new old records yeah yeah <laughs> like, that's so good i can't believe i didn't know that you know 15 20 years ago and um you know they always really inspire me which and it's, it's actually good i didn't know them all before because you sort of take them for granted then yeah um but what was it recently i've been listening a lot to um i just love that i really really love that late 70s new wave of british heavy metal bands like priest and uh, i maiden yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I've been really getting into um, early Judas Priest, like Sad Wings of Destiny, I reckon is an absolutely killer record. And I can't get enough. Like, I've, I spent the whole weekend surfing. And whenever I go surfing, I always have a song just running through my head. And I had Victims of Change by Judas Priest just blaring through my head constantly when I was out in the water. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just stuff like that makes a real impression on me. And I, of new stuff that's out at the moment... Um, like I hear fair bit, you know, I hear it on um, Triple R, like community radio down here and stuff, but it doesn't tend to make as much of an impact on me. I don't know why. You know, it's just, I think that those, there's an extent to which like back then it was really like quite a, like a glory period, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just would have been a great time to be around and playing music and or being a fan. And I mean, the same could be said of the late 60s as well. I just think that that, that sort of, 20 year period around then from the mid 60s probably you know early 80s or whatever that's that's just like a golden golden musical period in terms of rock and roll okay well um for logistical reasons which we won't bore the listeners with we can't play a song of a new record as right now but we will in the next episode so what was that judas priest song again let's play that eh yeah for sure it's um sad wings oh sorry victims of change from sad wings of destiny
yonder <laughs> and I'm not even going to try to rhyme anymore <laughs> Michael Monroe here for White Line Fever and you get a chance come and check us out live we're going to rock your socks off and whatever rock like fuck that's what I say okay <laughs> come on down and rock on 